Welcome to another episode of Ed Luminaries with Alejandra Zertuche, CEO of Enflux, who brings you powerful educator perspectives hailing from all walks of life. Get inspired and obtain great takeaways that you can apply to help set your students up for success. Sometimes all it takes is to hear how innovative educators approach similar problems and overcome obstacles to support breakthrough academic success. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Alejandra Sertuche and you're listening to the Ed Luminaries podcast, where we talk with educational leaders to find out how they're thinking and working creatively to drive student success. For today's episode, Factors Impacting Student Learning and Academic Performance, we have Dr. James Colhane, Assistant Dean for Student Academic Success Program at Notre Dame of Maryland University School of Pharmacy. Dr. Colhane is a certified academic coach and the author of the recently published book, Evidence-Based Learning Strategies for Student Pharmacists, published by the American Pharmacist Association. In our first podcast, if some of you remember, We had a podcast together called Secrets of Effective Academic Advising, where Dr. Colhane shared with us a preview of the book by discussing how students that are using effective evidence-based learning strategies while studying can can, can make all the difference in their academic success. Dr. Colhane, thank you so much for being with us again. Allie, thank you so much for having me on the program. Yes. I'm really interested about this topic. Because um, I think COVID made us see a lot of factors that affect students, student performance, academic performance, a lot of factors that we were not aware of. Uh, I think pre, pre-COVID, we, most people would think if a student is struggling, it's because they're not working hard, they're distracted, they're not motivated. And then during COVID, we realized that there were a lot of factors that are affecting student performance. For instance, I think the most eye-opening factor for me is hearing that some students didn't have good, reliable internet connection at home mm-hmm. to take some of the courses online. And it's, I think it's extremely important to understand all the factors that, that affect student performance, because if we have a better understanding of them, then we can provide better support. What is the most important thing to have in place? in order to have a better understanding of the factors that are affecting student performance and in order to effectively help the students navigate through them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I think, you know, the, the COVID experience for all of us has in many ways probably identified um, weak links in areas, not only in our curricula, but in our teaching and learning uh, techniques, but it's also I think um, put a lot of uh, excessive stress on our students, and we do know that those types of stressors, you know, that we're we're not used to dealing with on a day to day basis, can certainly impact learning. So, I mean, throughout the pandemic, you know, obviously, you know, big components of that, you know, just personal physical health, those those folks that were sick but were still trying to, in, you know, engage with the, with their with their academics in some way 
usually through a virtual or um, you know online format. The, the anxiety associated with a pandemic, not knowing, you know, when are we coming back to school? You know, what's happening in the world around us? Uh, those, those types of stressors and, and just switching, you know, basically to a brand new mode of teaching and learning that most of us in the academy had very little experience with, you know, stress the system all around. So it's, it's no surprise, right, that we would see um, you know, students struggling in this type of environment that may, may not normally struggle if if things were normal and we hadn't had to go through that experience. And so for me, I, I think it really it really stresses and emphasizes something that I'm I'm really passionate about with regards to student success is when you approach a student that is struggling academically, it's really, really important to approach that student from a very uh, broad perspective. You want to stay at 30,000 feet and really try to uncover um, and determine all the different types of factors um, that can impact that student's learning and their ability to be successful in your program. And there are a whole host of those, uh, of those, of those types of factors. So, you know, having a model system uh, in your own head, in your own mind, um, that can help you to uh, identify those factors, I think is really, really important. Can you tell us a little bit more about that uh, model system like what are what how do you split those factors mm -hmm. and and how can you as a academic coach or or academic advisor how can you have those those that model in your brain so that you can quickly identify them be aware of them and also uh the action that you can take right if if the factor is a what do you do what are my options if factor is a if factor is b what are you do um, what can I help with and what are things out of our reach? Um, yes. So going back to that, like, what's that model system? Sure. Um, so there are a number of model systems out there that describe different components, uh, you know, that impact student learning and success. The, the one that I that I, I gravitate towards is uh, one that I, I, I came across when I was doing research uh, for the book. And this particular model uh, called the BACEIS model, uh, that's an acronym for Behavior, Affect, Cognition, Environment, Interactive Systems. This was a model that was developed by two um, well-known cognitive psychologists in the 1990s, uh, Hartman and Sternberg. And um, Hope Hartman was a cognitive psychology, I believe, at the City University of New York, and, and she kind of led this research. And when I when I first came across this model, I was I was really taken with it because, as the name and the acronym uh, imply, this model really takes into account behavioral, affective, cognitive, environmental factors, uh, all of which interact with one another in one big interactive system that can ultimately impact both in a positive and a negative way, student learning. And so um, anytime I approach a student that I'm working with in academic coaching or in one of my courses that is struggling, one of the things that I really try to take the time to do 
is to sit down and collect lots of information from that student. And that can be in, in, in a variety of formats, right? So, um, you know, we can have that, the one-on-one -on -one interview with the student trying to, li you know, listening to them, trying to hear what their struggles are, what their perceptions are for why they're not succeeding. Um, I have a number of tools that I use as an academic coach to take a look at the student's level of metacognition awareness or, um, you know, their, their locus of motivation, level of motivation, uh, their, their test anxiety, those sorts of things, all those kind of fit together in, um, and, and form a composite picture of what that student's struggling with. Um, and the, the BACEIS model is really, really helpful with that because as I'm collecting that information, I'm thinking about each of the different components of that model. Okay. So in this model, there are four different quadrants or, or areas um, that uh, Hartman and Sternberg describe that can impact student learning. Two of those areas or domains are internal to the student, and then two of those domains are external to the student. And um, again, as an academic coach and a person in student affairs there, and a faculty member, there are certain components of those domains that I can have an impact on. Um, there are other components that I might need outside help and assistance with. Okay. So when we start, we take a look at those internal factors, uh, which Hartman and Sternberg referred to as the internal super system. These are things like, uh, well, the, the two systems are the cognitive system and the affective system. So when we're talking about a student's cognitive system, we're talking about things like this, a student's level of metacognitive awareness um, and their cognitive abilities. Okay. And, uh, you know, and so what are those levels? Are they being impaired in some way? Um, and then if you determine that they are, are not where they need to be, you can develop and implement an intervention to help improve those sorts of things. And that's something that I do a lot of as a faculty member and an academic coach. Uh, those are areas, there are some, uh, there are some components of those areas that I can really impact. The other uh, internal super system is the effective system. This deals with things like a student's motivation to learn, um, their ability to self-regulate their behavior and learning, and then their attitudes about learning. And again, we, we as uh, you know, faculty members and, and, and folks in student affairs, we do have, um, we can have a lot of influence on that with a student uh, by working with them, um, explaining to them you know, uh, different components of learning, um, investigating why they feel a certain way, about, you know, engaging in a particular course or using a particular study strategy, talking them about their motivation. Why do you want to be a PA or why do you want to be a pharmacist? You know, those sorts of things and, and trying to really dig into that a little bit. But that takes time. It, it takes time and effort that you need to invest to really get to know your student and to understand what's going on. Um, and then we move to those external, that external super system. These are things that are outside of the student and sometimes outside of the student's locus of control, okay? We have our academic system, which is, I think, an area that, you know, you know administrators, faculty members, and staff members uh, can have a huge impact on that academic system or academic environment, okay? So these include things like uh, teacher characteristics um, and the uh, teaching and learning and pedagogical and andragogical approaches that you use as an instructor. Uh, the content that you're teaching students, Okay. Certain content in, in, for example, in a pharmacy curriculum might be a little bit more difficult for students than others. Okay. For example, you might have a student that really struggles in pharmacokinetics, but maybe really does well in something like um, a skills-based laboratory. 
okay, based upon, you know, that student's strengths and weaknesses. Um, instructional strategies that we use, the way that our assessments are, you know, developed and structured, um, the, the type of classroom and academic environment, you know, is it inclusive? Is it welcoming for students? Is it safe? All of those things, like I said before, administrators, faculty and staff can really have a huge impact on, and it can make a huge impact on student learning. I mean, when you take a look at COVID, we just talked about that. COVID essentially took that academic system and blew it up, right? Everything changed. And so, you know, the, you know, the way that we taught, you know, in a lot of cases, it forced us to really look at our content and say, you know, do we really need to cover some of these topics that we covered before? Can we streamline things? The types of instructional strategies and delivery systems that we use. So COVID totally blew that up. And then finally, we have our, you know, non-academic system. These are things like a student's family background, okay? Their cultural influences, socioeconomic factors. These things are, you know, huge for our students. Um, I, I know in my particular program, we have students from all over the world in our program, from a lot of different socioeconomic backgrounds and cultural backgrounds. And, you know, each of them come in with their own unique strengths and struggles, and so, again, uh, let's say, for example, um, you know, we have students, uh, a lot of students in our programs are parents and they have children that they're trying to raise. Can you imagine going to pharmacy school full time during COVID while you're trying to, you know, shepherd your young children through online, you know, school and, and all the things that are associated with that? That's a really great example of how one of those factors, you know, uh, can really derail learning. And I think COVID, again, to your point, exposed that, okay? Um, cultural influences. I, I work with students from different cultures where they're very reticent to ask for help because it shows weakness, right? It's just not part of their culture. Uh, and so really, you know, encouraging them, you know, building that relationship and, and generating, developing trust with that student is really important to get them in to get the help that they need in order to be successful. Um, and then socioeconomic factors. I mean, when we take a look, for example, one of the things that we're seeing right now with inflation, the way that it's been, okay? You know, most of our students are living off of financial aid. They may have to work part-time. You know, when gas hits $5 a gallon, that really eats into your budget, especially when it's a fixed budget and it's limited. And then, you know, if you're a student before prices started going up and you didn't have to work, now all of a sudden, you may need to work outside of school in order to supplement some of that financial aid that you're living off of. So yeah, these are just all kind of examples of, of how that model system can help us look at our students very differently and um, identify specific areas where they need assistance. And that will then eventually can help us to develop a plan or get them connected with the resources that they need. I think the one thing that I really want to stress with this is that oftentimes with our students, and I think you mentioned this before, um, oftentimes our, our students, when our students are struggling, our default reasons that we go to, right, for why a student isn't doing well in the program is that well, they're not working hard enough, or they're lazy, or they're just not smart enough to be in a program, or maybe their prerequisite, you know, uh, course preparation wasn't very strong. And, and certainly in some cases, admittedly, that can play a factor and a role in a student's ability to be successful in a rigorous program, health professions program. But what I found in my work is that nine times out of 10, it's way more complicated than that. And I think it's important. Absolutely. To yeah. I really like the model because it breaks it out in the 
quadrants, right? You have the four quadrants, you have the internal, you have the external. Yep. Um, do you think that some of these factors have shuffled? And what I mean by that is the perception of the student saying, I can learn what I need to learn and, and become master on these competencies by doing it at from home, meaning I can do, take the courses from home. I don't have to spend time driving. I don't have to spend time spending or money, spend money on gas mm -hmm. and going to. And if I do that, if I'm not at home now, I have to find care for my kids that are at home in the summer. Or do you think that because some of their perception on how they can learn best from them, and that's why I'm calling it perception, doesn't mean that that's the best way for them to learn. But from their perception, do you think that there's new factors in the effective system that if we're pushing them to come back to school for those that don't want to now, they're not motivated. Oh, oh I think um, so. Yeah. You know, that, yeah, that's a really fascinating point that you bring up. I mean, I think when I think of COVID, I think of kind of three phases, right? You know, we had the start of the pandemic where we all had to make this big shift, right, into a very different mm -hmm. mode of teaching and learning. And it was a transition period for us. We were in that transition period for 18, 24 months, and now we're coming out of it. And we're kind of coming back into what we you know, pre-pandemic normal, which I'm not sure that we'll ever get back there. And and I think what we've done in higher ed, and I don't think it's a bad thing, is that we've kind of opened a Pandora's box in a lot of ways and demonstrated that, you know, there are a lot of different effective ways of, you know, teaching and learning that we can use um, that, you know, that students can um, can interface effectively with. I think what what's really also important about what you said there, I like the, the, the word that you use perception, right? Because as human beings, we are really, really good at fooling ourselves about, you know, how much we know about a particular topic or what's best for us in our learning. Um, and we're all, we're all victim to that. And so I think that, uh, you know, as we move forward, Um, yeah, certainly there's, there's, we've got some new factors here that are going to affect some of the, the, the internal and external super systems that we talked about. I think, you know, good, you know, good programmatic assessment and student assessment are really going to help us tease out, you know, what components of, of the way that we were doing things during the pandemic should we keep? What things should we get rid of and go back to normal? And so, you know, and, and blending the best of both worlds so that we can really maximize you know, student learning and success. Absolutely. And, and this just happened to me recently. It's like you, you meet a fantastic student. They're so smart, mm -hmm. cognitive level, highest, top of the class. But their perception is I don't have to go to school or interact with people to keep learning mm -hmm. and to be a competent pharmacist. Then what happens is that there's a lot of the effective things, system factors that start showing up. And some of them is they're not good at communicating with their colleagues. Mm -hmm. They're not good reporting up. How do you, if you have a manager, how do you interact with them, set expectations? There's a lot of things that happen in person, yes. in an environment that can, if it, if you take away that, even if their perception is that I can keep studying, learning, and I'm going to be a competent pharmacist, when they get into the real world, yes. which means you have to be in person, interactive with everyone else, I feel like that all is put at risk, including advancing their career.
Mm-hmm. You have to learn from everyone else. So it makes me think about how how their perception can can affect the effective system factors. Yeah, absolutely. And generate new ones. Absolutely. And like I said, I think that you know, this goes back to, you know, especially as educators, you know, and administrators and faculty are trying to decide, you know, what are we keeping and what are we getting away from? It's, uh, it's really, really important to look at data, right? Versus feelings mm-hmm. and perceptions. I think that's what's so, so important about all this, because you're absolutely right. I've heard that same thing from students. And, you know, clearly, there are some things I think in the curriculum that students can learn effectively you know, through, you know, online formats. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think absolutely that it's not just about, you know, information acquisition, you know, for to be an effective pharmacist. I mean, I think that there there are quite a number of curricular elements that you have to, in order for you to learn and really get the most out of, you have to be in person. You have to be interacting with your faculty, your fellow students, with patients. And so, yeah. It. These four quadrants, are they equally weighted? What are you now we're we're in a like you said, it's not it's not the normal. It's the new normal. We're in the new normal. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever go back to the old pre-COVID normal. Uh, in this new normal, do you see more weight on one of these quadrants than the other ones? So uh, I'll give you, I'll give you, I think what I would think if, if you were asking Dr. Hartman this question, I would, I'm going to give you what I think her answer would be. And then I will give you the answer based upon my own experience with this. So, you know, I think when Hartman um, and Sternberg set up this model, I think their, their idea was that there wasn't any one of these particular systems in general that were more important than others. All right. So the cognitive system, not more important than the affective, you know, uh, system or domain, the internal wasn't any more important than the affective. But the, the thing was that they were interacting with one another so that, you know, the affective system can interact with the cognitive system or interact with the non-academic system. So there's this dynamic interaction between these, these four different domains or systems that can influence a learner's behavior. Okay. And, and so it's, you know, now my experience working with students is that it's very individual for the student. Okay. So when I'm working with students, their main struggle, for example, may be the non-academic system. You know, maybe you've got a student, you know, they've got a high degree of cognition and metacognition. They're really motivated. They've got good attitudes. They interface with their instructors well, but the problem is that they've got to work 40 hours a week to support their family and go to pharmacy school at the same time. And that's why they're not performing at their highest level. Now, that's a simple example. In that case, in that student, the non-academic system is, you know, going to is going to be the most dominant one there. And then the question is, as an administrator or faculty member, what can we do to help that student with that? In some cases, we may not be able to help them with that particular situation. Maybe there's, you know, some financial aid or grant money that that student can tap into um, to help reduce the time that they need to work. Um, You know, if we have students with mental or physical health issues, right, or substance abuse issues, unfortunately, we see those things in in our programs, and those things can impact learning. And so, you know, identifying those things as rapidly in students as we can and then directing them to the appropriate institutional or external resources that can help the student with that is really, really critical. So I think there's not, from in my mind, there's not one domain that is always more dominant or important than the other ones, uh, but rather I think it's very individual to the student. 
And I think that just, and, and there may be multiple domains where there are issues. And they may be playing off of one another. So it's very dynamic in a lot of ways. Absolutely. I can see the whole picture and how they coexist. Um, if, if you don't have a full-time job that, if you don't have a full-time job, then you can have more time to study exactly. and to, to, to leverage that uh, um, motivation, right? And your cognitive level gets higher. And then you just have to make sure that the academic side of things are doing well. And the way I see it is the, the cognitive and, and academic can be measure, measure with assessment. Mm-hmm. You have the ongoing assessment data and you can track those two. The other tools, the other two have to be measured in a different way. As you mentioned, collecting as much data about the students through interviews, through meetings, one-on-ones. So I want to ask you, what are some of the tools that you're using to collect that data? What do you store that non-academic data? Sure. So, I mean, I think that, you know, well, you know, clearly, um, you know, platforms like Nflux have been <laughs> really helpful, you know, in, in terms of, you know, uh, giving us rapid um, access to student, you know, um, student grades and, and, and performance uh, and being able to, you know, manipulate that data and look at it in various formats. That's huge. You know, most I think most schools today, when you talk to them, have some sort of early alert system, right, where um, they are, you know, they, they try to really um, identify students very rapidly and quickly through performance on, you know, different types of formative and even summative assessments. Um, the other, you know, those other elements like the affective system and non-academic system elements, um, you know, when I when I work with individual students, I, I have student note forms that I use. So, you know, very much like soap notes that, that a physician would take or a pharmacist or a PA, um, you know, I, I, I use, a, I have a, a very specific form that I've developed for myself that uh, includes the BACEIS model so I can identify where I think there's issues with the student. Um, it's got, uh, you know, on the form, you know, uh, scores from, you know, the metacognitive awareness inventory survey that I have them take. Um, it's got a narrative section where I can type in notes so I can kind of develop a, a picture of the student, a store, the student's story over time. Uh, that allows me to track the student's progress as well as to document that um, in case somebody else needs to, you know, um, someone else needs information pertinent to that. That's extremely um, helpful, being able to centralize that so it's available to the right person at the right time so they can help the struggling students. Absolutely. What advice and, would you? Oh, I'm sorry. And also communicating. I mean, I think that that's something else. You know, communicating. If you are, you know, that's another thing that's really important in my in my job, um, is you know when I when I have an inner an interaction with a student um, or uh, I'm coaching a student, you know, to to be able to at least alert the advisor, for example that um, that students in academic coaching, or if a faculty member reaches out to me and says, look, I have a student in my class, I think they could really benefit from maybe a peer tutor, which I which I manage, or they need to work with you on, you know, developing some metacognitive skills or study skills or workflow time management skills. Um, you know, I can alert that faculty member, yes, you know, that student is, is, is working with me on that. And I, I, again, because I think it takes a village in any program. I mean, I think you know, um, when you're when you're talking about helping struggling students, it, it's it's got to be a joint effort between 
you know, faculty members, administrators like myself, staff members, everybody plays an important role. Even, even the students themselves, you know, especially if you're a peer tutor, can be a huge support uh, network for your fellow students. Absolutely. I love that. It takes a village. Um, I can see that if I was still working at a university or at a program like a pharmacy program, I'm more of the data person. I'm more of the, the one that would be able to trigger the early alert system and say, hey, these students are struggling. But then how do I partner with someone else that can help me or both collectively and with the student find what are the other things affecting the student, right? The affective. Oh. And, and the non-academic. And then once you have the whole picture, how do you add, what, what would you, what's your advice to programs that are struggling with attrition, that mm -hmm. attrition is a challenge? And how do you make sure that the student is part of this journey? Because yep. it's not just about alerting, like identifying them and identifying the, the effective or non-academic factors is like, what's next? And how can the student own the journey? Hmm. That's a great question. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. I think it's hard to speak in, in generalities because there's so many different programs out there with different curricular components and ways that they do things. But I think in general, if I had advice for folks, I think, first of all, I think the BACEIS model can be huge just to, uh, just in terms of generating conversation, right? And getting people talking about what are possible issues that could be impacting our, you know, attrition retention rates in our program. I think, I think your assessment people are so, so important with this because they're the ones that have that bird's eye view of the curriculum, right? Are learning outcomes being met? You know, you know, how are students performing in different courses? Because I found that the academic system itself, right, um, can be so important for student success. I mean, if you've got faculty maybe that are new in their career, maybe they don't have a lot of training in terms of how to, for example, just s structure and develop a reasonable exam and write good exam questions or item writing, right? That is so, so important. And that can that, that not only impacts your ability to assess whether your outcomes are being met, right, and whether your students know what you think they know or not, but it also impacts the students, you know, they may be getting poor grades in a particular course, not because it's their issue, but because of the way that the course is being taught, the, you know, the strategies that are being used by the instructor, the types of and ways that students are being assessed. So those things, I think, are really important in programs. I think that's a that's kind of low hanging fruit, right? You've, you should have that data and you can't you have that influence, on, you know, on your faculty in your, your curricula. Um, I think um, for me, I think what's made a real difference in our school uh, is, you know, again, this whole it takes a village type of mentality. Um, I like to think of myself as kind of a triage point for students. Um, you know, um, a lot of the students in our program, when they struggle, they actually self-refer to me. They come they come to my office because they know the types of services that I offer. And so that gives me an opportunity to really sit down and diagnose or triage what's going on. And then decide whether, okay, maybe it's a content issue. Maybe the student just doesn't understand or struggling to understand. For example, again, I don't mean to pick on pharmacokinetics, but pharmacokinetics topics. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, guess what? I'm going to refer them back to our pharmacokinetics professor. And in the same breath, I'm probably going to connect them with a peer tutor that has some expertise in that area. Okay. If, the, if I can tell that the student is really struggling, maybe struggling with content, but also their workflow time management sorts of things, and maybe their, their approaches to learning are not really evidence-based, 
you know, then I'll set them up with academic coaching with myself. If they've got financial aid issues or housing issues or mental health or physical health issues that I think are impacting their learning, then, you know, I can direct them to our associate dean for student affairs who can help them get the res the campus and institutional resources connected with those that they need. So I think having a point person is really important. It could be your advisors. It doesn't need to be someone like myself. It could be your, your academic advisors. And for them to do that, I think they need some training in an area like this. I think that uh, regular interfacing and connection, connecting with their, their advisees is really important. And also, I think it's important for them to understand what, again, institutional resources are available that they can direct their students to, um, to get them help quickly and in a timely fashion. Uh, so there's there's some faculty development, I think, that needs to happen there. Um, I, I think another addition, too, is what's really been helpful for us are our peer tutors. Um, so, you know, part of my job is to train and deploy our, our peer tutors to students that need assistance. Um, our, our, all of our tutors uh, get certified through the National Tutoring Association. So they actually get some external training, about five or six hours of external training. Plus, I do a lot of training with them in-house on some of the evidence-based approaches that I use in academic coaching and, you know, and getting them connected with students. Uh, what I try to do is we have a lot of students in our program that English is the second language, which, again, can be a challenge for them learning. And so if I have a tutor that speaks their same primary language, I try to get them connected um, because I found that, you know, that connection that they have from a, a language standpoint, maybe a cultural standpoint can really help them connect with one another. And it can also help with the learning process. I really like that peer tutor um, model and maybe we can do another session on, on how Absolutely. to run. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think they're, they're the unsung heroes, I think, and a lot of yes. times, in a lot of cases in our programs, they carry a huge, huge burden on their shoulders in terms of helping our students to be successful. And, and you know, hopefully in most programs, they're being supported, directed and trained in the, in, you know, in the right way, because I think that can make a huge difference in student success. With the right support and the right training, I think that model can be extremely impactful to student success because they can relate to those tutors. Um, and in addition to that, you mentioned how they need to be trained. Whoever is going to be taking care of this, if it's going to be one person like you, you're doing it right now, or if it's going to be different tutors or mentors, they have to be trained. Mm -hmm. And there has to be some faculty development sessions in that. So that Absolutely. being said, I think this is the great opportunity to share with everybody that we are releasing at an interactive self-paced um, module about it's a faculty development session that is going to go through the the model the B A I E S I S model mm -hmm. <laughs> um, model and it's going to go through that and it's going to go step by step. So I want to invite our listeners to to join our our model. We're going to release it in a few weeks, um, and of course the model is is short, it's concise, but it's it's a, it's really rich. And information. Where else, um, Dr. Colhane, do you think they can find the right resources for training? And can you tell us a little more about your book? Because I think your book is a secret sauce 
as well as we embark this. Yes. Um, you know, so I think that, you know, I think, I think faculty, you know, first of all, I want to, I want to stress, I think faculty development in this area is hugely important. Um, you know, and I'm a faculty member myself. I've been in pharmacy education for 25 years. And, you know, especially with young faculty, even, even mid-career faculty, you know, we are content experts, you know, in our particular area. I'm a cardiovascular pharmacologist. That's my content expertise. And yet I'm assigned a lot of, for example, advising and mentoring tasks that I have to do that may involve some of these things. Now, in my case, you know, I've self-educated in a lot of these areas. Um, and so I'm able to do that. But many faculty may be lost um, in, you know, in terms of what do I do with a student struggling? I'm not really, you know, I'm, I can certainly help them with content, but it doesn't seem to be effective. Well, you know, opening their minds up to this model and making them understand that, you know, content's certainly important and understanding information, but there are a whole host of other things that need to happen correctly in order for that student to move forward. So I think, you know, faculty development is really important. Um, the book uh, that you mentioned, very excited about it being released, um, Evidence-Based Learning Strategies for Student Pharmacists. When I wrote this book, I wrote it from the perspective that I wanted to put together a book that a student pharmacist could pick up themselves and read through and work through and help to develop the approaches and strategies that they use um, in their independent study. Okay, It's not a textbook. I didn't write it in, in that way for it to be a textbook for faculty to use to teach a particular class. I could see this book being used by, for example, an advisor with an advising group. Hey, let's let's pick up this book and read through it together and discuss and talk about some of the different approaches that you can use to enhance your your learning when you're when you're studying. Um, so I think it, it could be a really great resource um, for pharmacy students. Uh, I think it could also be used in, in a variety of health professions programs as well, too. You know, I write it from a pharmacy centric standpoint. So a lot of the practical examples I use, you know, utilize, you know, pharmacy classes that are taught. But if you're a PA student, for example, and you're struggling, you, I, I, you could totally use this book um, and, and interface with it and, and, and use it to help yourself, um, you know, to to really improve your academic performance. Uh, my my future goal here is I've, I've started on a second manuscript um, that is going to be written for faculty members as a development tool for faculty members. And it, it's all about, again, academic coaching and helping struggling students. And so um, I'm working through that right now. It's been a lot of fun to to get that launched and and hopefully we'll have that done, you know, sooner than later, because I think it would be another useful resource for folks. I'm looking forward to reading the second book. I love the first one. I just place an order and I invite our listeners to order the book. We're going to have the link on, on our podcast description. And I, I just love the approach of, of how the students can own their, their method of learning, right? It's almost like an athlete. The athlete, what do they do? They train for the game. They, they watch themselves on TV after a game, trying mm -hmm. to figure out what did I do wrong and, and where can I improve? Um, like watch themselves, have a self-reflection of what are the things that are working and not working and then making those changes um, as an athlete so that you can play better. So I think students, um, pharmacists, PA, nurses, I think it's a great book so that they can identify how they can have that self-reflection of what they're doing that works and doesn't work mm -hmm. um, because it goes back to perception as we were talking about oh. they might think that if they highlighted the whole book that's the right way of study <laughs> and i'm gonna get an a 
And then when they get a C, it's like, but how come if I highlighted the whole book? Right. Well, Absolutely. Methodology matter. methodology matters. And that's what the book's really about. When we talk about yeah. evidence-based medicine as, and practicing as, as healthcare yeah. providers, well, this is an evidence-based learning approach. So all the approaches in the book are based upon, you know, best practices and research in this particular area. And, and, and I hope students, you know, find it to be, to be helpful and useful. Yes. Thank you so much, Dr. Kohaint, for being with us again, um, for joining us and sharing what, what, what models are you using in your daily work and what are some of the factors that are affecting academic success and, and, and learning? I want to thank our listeners uh, for listening to today's episode. You can subscribe to our events by going to nflux.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn, where we post announcements about our solutions and resources like today's session. And any, any week now, we're going to be releasing NFLUX Academy, which is going to be self-paced, interactive faculty development sessions so that we can plant those seeds so that people can learn more about these models and, and provide um, more support to the students. I'm Alejandra Sertuche, and you have been listening to Ed Luminaries. You've just listened to Ed Luminaries, inspiring stories and ideas from educators to educators with Alejandra Zertuche. Connect with us at edluminaries.com to join the conversation and access the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts.